Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Chase Baker. I'm the student pastor here at Rolling Hills, and it's such a privilege to be with you today. Um, I'm honored, and I'm grateful that we have a lead pastor in Jeff Simmons that allows us to use our gifts in this way. And Jeff has been on sabbatical for um, the past month, and he comes back next week, and he's had a time to refocus and um, re-energize and spend time with his family. We blessed him in that. We're, we look forward to having you back, Jeff, if you're watching. Um, grateful for him and his leadership. Now today we are continuing or actually closing a series called The Road Less Traveled. And it's a study of 1 Corinthians. And we're going to land in chapter 16 today. If you want to open up your copy of scripture and maybe go to you, you version to open up your copy of scripture, then that's where we're going to be landing today. Um, with the church in Corinth, what we've learned over the past few, uh, really month, few months is that the, the Corinth, the city of Corinth was an influential city. It was a wealthy city. There was, it was culturally diverse. There was lots of different ideas about the way religious practices were supposed to be done, what to do, what not to do. There was sexual promiscuity going on. There was the worship of idols. And all the while, the church had to be the church in this context, which took a lot of focus, a lot of dedication. It took taking the road less traveled. And Paul writes to the church in 1 Corinthians, and he gives instruction, he gives encouragement, he gives warnings. But Paul wants to lead them through the process of sanctification. That's why he's writing this book. And we say this word sanctification Um, This is kind of a churchy term, but let's break it down. The word sanctify means to be made holy or to become holy. The word holy means to be set apart or sacred. So we can say that the term sanctification is the process of being set apart from the rest of this world. And Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and say, guys, you're, you're to be set apart. You are to look different than the rest of this world. And like the Corinthian church, there's so many things that fight for our attention, aren't there? Our kids, our jobs, hobbies, the demands and distractions of life. You and I live in a culture that thrives on keeping itself busy. Even our downtime seems to be pretty busy, doesn't it? And to be honest... We can even prioritize things that are important in our lives. We can say, man, these are extremely important to me. But we can live in such a way that people that look at our lives would not be able to tell that those things are important to me. Meaning, maybe for example, is I believe that family time is really important to me. But whenever something comes up in my life, that's the first thing that gets cut. Or I believe that spiritual growth is extremely important to my faith and I want to do things to grow spiritually. But whenever something comes up in my life, those things are the first things that get cut. You know, Courtney and I, over the past years, we've tried to, um, we try to do things together. Uh, ever since we've been married, we try to pick an activity um, that we could really do together with, with each year. And one of the first things we tried is cycling, you know, with a bicycle. And I, I develop a complex after a while because with cycling, if you cycle, I'm sorry um, for this, but you have to wear spandex and it's really tight on your legs and on your 
backside, you wear a pad. So it really looks like you're wearing a diaper while you're riding a bicycle. And, and I really develop a complex with that. And so we decided, you know, this might not be the best thing for us. So we decided to try something else. Well, guys, don't make fun of me, please. But we went through a season where we knitted together on our couch. Like, yeah. Um, and I promise it was a bet. She bet that I could not knit. And I said, I bet I can. And so we spent the next season of our lives knitting together, watching TV. <laughs> and, and recently we've taken up working out together. We do a thing called CrossFit. And, and every time I work out, I throw up and it's awesome. You know, I love it. You know, I've been gone for a season. I'm a student pastor. So there's a lot of trips that I go on and I go back to working out on Tuesday Pray for me because at the end of that workout, I will throw up. That's a guarantee. And we've also started taking up gardening. Now, we've, we're not professional gardeners, um, but we've, over the past couple of years, we've learned a thing or two about gardening. And this is our garden at the first uh, of the summer. So isn't it great? Aren't we professionals? And here's what you do with a garden. You have a plot of land, you till it, and then you plant the seed. You, in rows, like you see there, you plant the seed and you water it and then you, you feed it a little bit and then you just leave it alone. And at the end of the summer, you go back and you have crop and you can pick it and it's awesome. You, there's no work to it. That's a lie. You know that there's tons of work to it. It takes hard work. You have to go back weekend and week out tilling the ground, making sure you pull the weeds out in order to make sure that it produces crop in the end. If you're not careful, and Courtney and I, um, I, obviously I travel. Courtney works for a nonprofit and she travels too. And uh, this past weekend, we went back to check out our garden and this is what it looks like. Yeah. You know, if you were to look at that, you would not be able to tell that that's a garden. We went back and instead of pulling weeds, we just said, forget about it. This is, this season is done. Um, we're done. And so what we can learn from that, and it's so important, is that unfortunately this happens all too often in our personal walk with the Lord. There's great intentions behind our faith. We have great starting points. We have salvation. We have baptisms. We have rededications. But when, but we have a hard time establishing boundaries, habits, and priorities that will keep the things of this world from growing up in our lives, from becoming a distraction in order for us to keep our eyes focused on Christ. You see, to take the road less travel means sacrifice. It means hard work. It means dedication. Paul gets to the end of his first letter in chapter 16 in 1 Corinthians, and he writes to the church about actions that they can take to enable them to take the road less traveled. And these actions cause for believers to be a generous people. And what I'm praying that you learn over the next few moments is that generosity takes intentionality in order to live our Christian walk out. Generosity takes intentionality. So before we read, start reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1, would you pray with me as we go into scripture? God, <clears throat> may we forever be changed by your word. 
Your word does not return void. Your word is living and active. And we're grateful for the gift that you've given us through your word. So God, I pray that as we leave here today, that you would, you would speak to our hearts. You would speak to our minds. That we would, we would live change. That we would live out your word into our communities. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Paul writes, Now about the collection for the saints. You should do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches. He said this before. On the first day of the week, each of you is to set aside, set something aside, and save in the keeping with how he prospers, so that no collections will need to be made when I come. Now here's the thing. We see that now, he says now about the collections for the saints. What is that about? Well, Paul on his third missionary journey, he went around to these different churches collecting a relief offering for the, the Christian Jews in Jerusalem. Why was he doing that? Because two things. One, the Christian Jews in Jerusalem were being persecuted for their faith. To, nobody would hire them. Why? Because they were Christian Jews in Jerusalem. And then the second thing, there was a famine going through the land. And so Paul sees a need and he's calling out to the churches, guys, we need to help. We need to rally around these Christian Jews in order to give them what they need to to do ministry there. And Paul goes a bit further in 2 Corinthians. And in 2 Corinthians, he talks about why and how that they should give. 2 Corinthians 8, 8 through 9 says this. I'm not saying this as a command. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm not even telling you how you should give. And he says, rather, by the means of the diligence of others, I'm testing the genuineness of your love. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich for your sake, became poor, so that by his poverty, you might become rich. Rich, You see what Paul's teaching us is that Christ compels us to give financially. There's three aspects of generosity that I'm going to cover today. And the first is financially. Christ compels us. I got this from my closet. That's where we store our change. Maybe $12 there. I don't know. But Christ compels us to give financially. Even though this was a special relief offering that he, um, that he had um, gathered all this money for the, the church, I believe that in the first couple of verses in this chapter, we really learn principles about Christian stewardship. And the first is this, giving is an act of worship. Giving is an act of worship. Each member of the church was to bring his gift to the Lord's day. Meaning, it's kind of like a Sunday for us. Was to bring a gift on a Sunday prepared to share for that week. You know, the reason why the early church met on the first day of the week it was in commemoration of the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so they brought their gifts to church in order to give as a gift of worship. And you and I would believe, man, that's the good thing to do. But how tragic is it when we bring our gifts as a, as a duty and, and we forget that the offer, our offerings are to be spiritual sacrifices unto the Lord. Philippians 4.18 says this, But I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Ephroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Giving is an act of worship for our Savior. 
You know, that when we give, we not only submit to God our bodies, but we submit to God our possessions because we acknowledge the reason why we have what we have is because he gave it in the first place. And I can go before him and say, God, here, this is yours anyway. And so I praise you for this. I give it back to you. Giving is to be an act of worship. And he said, and then we go down and we look at and see what Paul says. Paul's telling the Corinth church here on the first day of the week. And what we get from that is giving is to be systematic. He said, you give on the first day of the week. And, and scholars usually, you know, the, the reason why they, they say, you know, they give on the first day of the week is because um, that's when they got paid. So they got paid on the first day of the week and they were to give a portion of their money back to the church or back to, as a gift to God. So giving was to be systematic in that way. And what I believe Paul's painting a bigger, bigger picture, he says, have a game plan for how you give, a pattern. You see, we have patterns and, and routines and systems in our lives so that they become habits. Why? So that we won't forget. Whenever I walk in the back door and I go into the kitchen and I look to the right, there's a counter right there. And, and my wife has placed a tray there. Why? So I can put my keys, my wallet, and my phone there because I'm always losing those things. And she said, this is a reminder for you, honey. Don't forget to put it there. And I believe as, as our gifts, we should have reminders in our lives that will help us to be systematic in our giving. You may say, maybe it's too late for you to start these patterns. It's never too late to start patterns. And I, what I'll say to you, if you have kids, allow your kids to be on this journey with you. Go home and say, this is how much we give and this is why we give and let them be a part of that process. Give them a little money too so that they can turn it into the offering just so they can have a sense that we all give as an act of worship. Giving should be systematic. Giving is also to be proportionate. Paul says, each of you is to set aside Set something aside and save in keeping with how he prospers. The Jewish believers in the church would have been accustomed to the tithe. But Paul did not mention anything about a special proportion that they should give. He didn't tell them this is how much you give. This is, this is how much money you should set aside. But for us, certainly 10% is a guide point for us. When we, when we say 10%, that's just a good place to start to begin our stewardship. What I really think Paul's getting at, as the Lord gives us more, we give more. As the Lord gives us more, we give more. We have discovered that within our culture, the more money we make, the less a person gives. Why? Because you and I have appetites. And the only word that appetite knows is more. More. We've got to understand that you can never fully and finally satisfy appetites. It always says, I want what's next. I want the next big thing. I want, I want, I want, I want. That's what appetite says. And the only thing that tames our appetites is generosity. So giving was to be proportionate. And finally, giving was to be personal and individual. 
personal and individual. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says this. Remember this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. The person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he decided in his own heart, not out of regret or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Jeff, myself, any other pastor can't tell you how much to give. That's up to you and your relationship with the Lord. But what we can tell you is that when you bring your gifts, let it be an act of worship. Give cheerfully. Acknowledge that the reason why I'm giving is because you have given in the first place. You know, what is interesting about giving is that when we never give, wealth is the thing that defines who you are. Wealth defines who you are. Wealth will not simply be a blessing anymore. See, if I'm willing to decide ahead of time to be rich towards God, then I'm freeing myself up from the lie that we need our wealth. I think Jesus said it best when he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you remember the story of the rich young ruler, he came to Jesus and he said, what good must I do to enter the kingdom of God, to have eternal life? And Jesus said, go sell all your possessions and give to the poor. You know what happened? The rich young ruler left with his head down. Why? Because the rich young ruler allowed his possessions to be his definer, to define who he was. And Jesus was saying, hello, hello, I want to be your definer. He said Jesus cared less about his possessions than he did about his heart. Once we understand this concept, the need for possessions go down and generosity goes up. You see, the reputation of the local church in our community should be this. They are some of the most generous, gracious, compassionate people that I have have ever met. I'm not so sure I want to be a part of what they're doing, but I sure am glad they're a part of our community. And that's incredible testimony that we can have in our community, that we can be a generous people. The first, in the first century, they had two words of forgiving. Libertas, which means to give and expect something in return. And then there's charis, which we get the word charity, which is giving without expecting anything in return. This is also the definition of unconditional love. Unconditional love we, we know that the word agape means unconditional love. And it says this, it says, I have the capacity to give and keep giving without expecting anything in return. I'm convinced that unconditional generosity continued to be, continues to be the church's best leverage point for pointing people in the direction of unconditional love of God through Jesus Christ. To be a generous people. Christ compels us to give financially, but also... Um, Christ compels us to do something else. And we get down to verse 5, chapter 16, and Paul continues to write, I will, come, I, I will come to you after I pass through Macedonia, for I will be traveling through Macedonia, and perhaps I will remain with you or even spend the winter with you, so that you may, you may send me on my way wherever I go. I don't want to see you now just in passing, but I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord allows But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost because a door for effective ministry has opened for me. Yet many opposed me. 
The interesting thing about this passage is that Paul lays out his travel plans. What I love about Paul is Paul was purposeful in his planning. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, Therefore, I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one boxing the air. He plans with purpose. Paul's just as careful in his use of his money than he is with the use of his time. And if you can see, this clock has been broken because I shattered it first service. And I pulled it from, from our bedroom. And my wife witnessed it at our first service. So, so Christ... So someone, someone has said that killing time is the chief occupation of the modern society. And I would say that no Christian can afford to kill time or waste opportunity. Christ compels us to sacrifice time. Christ compels us to plan with purpose. Our schedules are full. Courtney and I sit down all the time and say, we are so busy. Like when, when is it enough, enough? And we don't have kids and you, some of you have kids and you not only have to manage your schedule, you have to manage your kids' schedules too. And that just gets exhausting. We have to be careful that our schedules don't control us, but we control our schedules. See, we have an incredible, we have to be incredibly intentional about how we choose to spend our time, don't we? When we make travel plans, business plans, sports plans, we're intentional about scheduling that would help us achieve those goals. Late night practices, right? Scheduling business appointments, booking online tickets in order to get the best possible price. Don't you think that it's equally important, if not more important, that we make out our plans that will allow us to grow spiritually? If, if God is the giver of all things, then why would we make it a priority to scheduling time to give back to him? Why wouldn't be that that'd be a part of our process? What does your calendar look like? Is it purposeful? When you go home, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Sit down with your family. Look at your day calendar or your week calendar or your month calendar. And figure out ways that you guys can plan time that will allow you to give to God's kingdom work. Be intentional about it. Yeah, I, I'm a student pastor, and one of the things that, that we want parents to understand is that they're looking at you. They're looking at how you spend time. They're looking at how you invest your, your money. So what do you want to teach them? Be purposeful in your planning. And then we get to one of my favorite parts about this scripture. We get to verse 10. In verse 10 says this, if Timothy comes, sit it, he has nothing to fear from you because he is doing what the Lord, he's doing the Lord's work just as I am. Therefore, no one should look down on him. Send him on his way in peace so that he can come to me for I'm expecting him with the other believers, with the other brothers. About our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brothers. He was not willing to come now. However, He will come when he has the opportunity. Often at the close of Paul's letters, he mentions various people who are part of his life and ministry. These were people that Paul invested in. 
You know, I, the one thing that I thought about for another prop um, with this next point, this next point is Christ compels us to invest in people. And I thought, man, I have a, have a one for finances and I have one for time, but I thought about a picture, but, but it's you. It's you. You see, money and opportunities are valueless without people. There's somebody in front of you, to the side, left and right, somebody behind you. There's kids over in, over in Main Street. There's preschoolers in Studio 6. There's students backstage. There's, morphin, there, there's orphans in Moldova, and there's kids along the Amazon River. People matter. People matter. The church's greatest asset is people, and yet too often we can take people for granted. Jesus didn't just simp- Jesus didn't give disciples money. What did he do? He invested time in people. He spent years years of training his disciples in order to prepare them for his absence. If people are prepared, then God will supply both the opportunity and money so that his work will be accomplished. Generous people invest in people. You and I have had people that have invested in us heavily. My dad is sitting over there and he's invested years in my life so that I will have opportunities to grow spiritually. We have school teachers. We have coaches that have invested in us. And the thing about investing in people, it takes sacrifice. It takes time. It takes dedication. It takes taking the road less traveled. Whenever people come to me and say, I can't seem to connect or I can't seem to plug in, there's two questions that come to my mind. The first is, who are you investing in? And who's investing in you? Who are you investing in? And who's investing in you? See, when we invest in another human being, the ballgame changes. We are now investing in the very thing that God loves. And he's called us to love others. Why do we push small groups? You may be, you may be sick of us telling about, you know, you should be in a small group. Small groups are important. We're not telling you to be in small group because we need people in small group. We're telling you that, that when you engage in a community of people, you find support, you grow spiritually, and you build the very thing that God loves— people. You know, we, we go through, especially in this season, we talk about serving a lot. And maybe some of you has, have been avoiding me like the plague because you're afraid I might come to ask you to serve. I won't, I promise. We don't ask you to serve to fill a gap. We don't need gap fillers. Here's why we ask you to serve. Because it invests in the very thing that God loves, people. To teach the next generation of preschoolers, kids, and students. To lead or host a small group. To greet on Sunday mornings and to direct the parking lot. Why? Because God loves people and we want to invest in people. Why serve and love people in my workplace? Because God loves people. Just a few days ago, someone pointed me towards an... um, towards an, an article about a debt collector named Bill Bartman. Now, Bill was an unusual debt collector because, as you know, debt collectors are known for their harassing tactics and their rude behavior in order to get their money. And, and Bill, being a Christian debt collector, 
wanted to take a different approach. He wanted to take a road less traveled approach. And Bill decided for his company, he wasn't going to hire a bunch of debt collectors. He was going to hire customer care associates. Completely different. And he rewarded his customer care associates not by how much money they got. He, he rewarded them based on how many free services they offered. So the conversation may have looked like this. Hello, sir. How are you doing today? Well, how can we help you get out of debt? What are the things that you need? Well, I don't have a job. Well, how can we help you get a job? Yeah, well, I need a resume. Well, we'll help you fill out that resume for you. Just tell us. If you've never filled out a resume before, we'll help you with that. In fact, we'll help you schedule the interview an interview. And we'll call to remind you, why did he do all those things? Not as, a, not as a handout, but they're doing those things to help people get out of debt. He's doing those things because kindness and generosity are the things that will help these people get out of debt. And he started this experiment a year ago. And currently, now listen to this, currently he's making 200% more than his competitors. 200%. Recently, he's been nominated for the 2014 Nobel Prize because Bill understands that people matter. Who's invested in you? Who's taught you about Jesus? Who has given you godly advice? I had a high school teacher. He was my, he was my Sunday school teacher. And he made it his job to ask me questions. I mean, sometimes he just got on my nerves because he asked me so many questions. He would see me in the hallway and say, how's it going? He'd ask me about life. How's school going? How's sports going? But he would not only do that, he would, ask, he would tell me about biblical truths. He would give me words of wisdom. And I didn't know it at the time. But what he was doing, he was being intentional about his relationship with me. There were times where he would grab a chair, sit it down, and I would have a chair. It's really awkward for a high school student. And we would see knee, knee to knee and eye to eye. And he would say, Chase, I believe that God's going to use you in incredible ways. I believe you're going to do a lot for the kingdom of God. He was just encouraging me. But you know what that high school boy began to do? A boy that didn't have a clear vision of his future. A boy that felt um, maybe not competent in his abilities. You know what that boy began to do? He began to believe him. Because one guy said, I want to invest in that kid. Now, if you're sitting out there and you haven't had anybody invest in you, I'm so sorry. The church has failed you. But here's what I would say. Two things. One, it's not too late. It's not too late. The, the definition of discipleship is pretty much investing in people. It's being in community with each other and growing spiritually together. Having someone who's willing to sacrifice some time in order to give back to me back to you. And so I would say, man, if you don't have that person, we have plenty of people here at Rolling Hills that would love the opportunity 
to invest in you, to help you grow spiritually, to pray over you, to encourage you. Just let us know. We'll connect the dots for you. And also, the second thing I want to ask, if you're not investing in somebody, invest in somebody. Why do we ask you to be a part of a small group? Why do we ask you to serve? Why do we ask you to go meet somebody at Panera? It's to invest in somebody. The very thing that God loves. Take time out of your busy schedule in order to go through the process of discipleship. To make time to grow spiritually. Lastly, Paul says... Verse 13, what I, as I love, he knows that living the road less traveled is difficult. And he says, be alert, stand firm in faith, act like a man, be strong. Your every action must be done in love. This is a difficult road to travel. And let me tell you, it's well worth it. So the question is, how can we leverage our bank account? our schedules, the relationships we have in order to demonstrate the generosity that we have in and through Jesus. Ultimately, when it comes down to it, we generously give because we, because he graciously gave. We generously give because he graciously gave. And I want to leave you with a passage of scripture. 2 Corinthians 5, 14. I love this. I love this. Christ's love compels us. Since we have reached this conclusion, if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. Oh, man. The reason why we sacrifice our money the reason why we sacrifice some time and plan with purpose the reason why we invest in people is because he first gave he graciously gave to us by dying a criminal's death on the cross so that we can live with him forever and we have the wonderful privilege of living the road less traveled for him Will you pray with me? God, um, where do we go from here? We're coming into a fall semester that we know that life gets busy. We know that funds get tight. We know that sometimes it's hard to give. We know that sometimes it's hard to make time to give back to you. And we know that sometimes people just get on our nerves and it's exhausting. But God, we recognize that the reason why we have all these things is because you are the provider. You are the giver of time. And you are the creator of all people and you love your people. And it's a privilege for us to give back to you because you so graciously gave to us. And so God, we stand here, we sit here today in all of you, 
God, we worship you today. So God, as we go into this next phase of worship, may we keep in mind that you are the giver of all things. And so God, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.